Hello and welcome to Criterion. Close up, Major. <laughs> I'm Mark Herney, and I'm here with Major West. Major West, how are you, sir? Uh, you're actually Major. Oh, never mind. This isn't going to work. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Captain West. I should have. Yeah, I should have switched the rank. Or do you want to be General West? Uh, Sergeant, I think. And and you're the Major. Uh, okay. You're a Major, and you know what? <laughs> I, I, I'm lying, guys. Uh, Mark Herney is the kindest, bravest, warmest, most wonderful <laughs> human being I've ever known in my life. <laughs> what does that and make he's me? Playing solitaire. Raymond Shaw is the kindest, bravest, warmest, most wonderful human being I've ever known in my life. You're, you're pretty good. Well, we haven't even introduced you, so I don't know who you're talking to. You, you must be talking about hydrangeas or something. <laughs> That's General Cobb. <laughs> Uh, well, folks, I, I should mention this is uh, Criterion Close-Up, and we are here episode 38, and we are talking about the Manchurian candidate, the John Frankenheimer film today. Um, but you did hear the voice of Mr. Paul Cobb, so we wanted to introduce Mr. Paul Cobb, uh, pen historian of Islam, a friend of the show, listener of the show, been looking forward to having you on for quite some time. Welcome, Paul. Thanks very much, guys. I'm, uh, I'm super excited to be here and uh, really excited to talk about this film. What's what's great about you, Paul, is is we've been, I guess, quote friends on Twitter for I don't know about a year or so at least. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and you were uh, one of the first people I really wanted to have on the show, not just because of your background, but and and I, in fact, we talked about uh, some other titles that were more fitting for your background. Uh, but it's kind of cool that we're doing just a conspiracy thriller instead <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's fine too uh, yeah i should say i mean uh when people find out i'm um a, a, a professor of islamic history and that i'm really interested in film they usually assume that i'm some kind of expert on middle east film or film uh from the islamic world and uh, i really i'm really not i sort of uh, uh i sort of lean towards classic hollywood more than anything else uh, but that's mostly cool. i'm just uh i'm just an enthusiast who loves who loves cinema. And uh, uh, so I feel I'm, uh, I was going to say I'm equally qualified to talk about anything, but what I am is equally unqualified to talk about anything. So I'm, I'm really glad Perfect. to be here. Welcome to the party. <laughs> you yeah. <fit> right in. <laughs> you <Yeah>. do. <laughs> and you are uh, officially the smartest person on the podcast. So there you go. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about oh, that. That's I, definitive. I, the most the, the most alphabet uh, in your name <laughs> the most letters uh, so yeah welcome paul and uh, you know we we do first time guest it's funny aaron like aaron said we've been wanting to have you on the show for quite some time glad to finally have you on so mm -hmm. first time guest uh, we would love to hear your criterion connection how'd you get started introduced to criterion movies all right. Um, my well, so my my love affair with cri the Criterion Collection is um, a subset of my interest in film, and that began uh, you know a long time ago. And uh, although most recently um, started up, I was uh, I think it goes back to a, a, a like a cocktail party I was at. I was boring someone in a corner, uh, to, you know, talk, going on and on about movies, and this person said, you know you seem to know an awful lot about movies. And at the time I sort of thought, well, gosh, I, you know, I'm, it, it sort of sounds like I do. So I, 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 uh, <laughs> I uh, decided to, to sort of make a thing of it. And uh, I started a blog. I had a, uh, a blog related to my, uh, my, my work as a historian already. And I sort of added a, an adjunct to that. Uh, so I could do a little writing about, about film. And uh, actually Aaron, I, uh, I owe you a, um, 
uh, a blog entry uh, for the um, Criterion Blues um, uh, blogathon. Um, uh, which is still weighing on my soul. Oh, I'll that's do, right. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I hope to get to that this summer. Um, it's it's fine. <laughs> it's the thing's long. <laughs> maybe the, for the next one, if if we do another. Well, I'll, I, uh, I'm I'm keen to write it. In fact, it was that that film uh, in particular that that got me um, the one I was going to write about that got me um, excited about Criterion's, uh, which was The Innocence, um, oh, the yes. uh, yeah, yes. 1961 Jack Clayton film with uh, Deborah Kerr based on uh, Turn of the Screw, the Henry James uh, novella, which I think is just an amazing film. And uh, I'm, I'm not a big horror, horror fan at all, but this is one of these, uh, you know, kind of intellectual horror movies that really, um, really um, uh, excited my imagination. And that was, uh, I, I first saw that film in graduate school uh, at the University of Chicago, where they have this great film society called the Documentary Film Society, or Hmm. or doc films as they call it and um it's a big thing uh in that pretty much every student gets a gets a schedule uh which usually hangs on the refrigerator and there's a movie um maybe not every night but uh uh with some frequency during the week so you can go hang out and see a see a great movie and then um uh you know follow up with some coffee with friends afterwards or or what have you and yeah and it, it was a great it's a great uh sort of institution there and uh that's where i first saw the innocence and so I, when I returned to um, my interest in film, I immediately sought The Innocence uh, on Netflix, uh, you know, on DVD, and it didn't exist or they didn't have it available for whatever reason. And so it was out of this kind of sense of frustration that I was sort of looking and looking and looking to find The Innocence, uh, a, a copy of The Innocence that I could get my hands on. And it was, uh, of course, the uh, recent, uh, only, only until, what was it, 2014, I think? Um, yeah, wow. um, that, I think so that it was released uh, through Criterion, and uh, that's what got me hooked. Um, I'd heard about Criterion um, before then, of course, but I'd never owned a Criterion disc, and of course it's not just the film, it's the restoration and all the um, you know, special features uh, that go on, that, that go with it. And that's a, that's a particularly well-endowed uh, uh, well uh, uh, DVD with lots of extra features. and. Uh, um, it was from that moment on, I was really hooked. Uh, so I, I, it's not like I have a giant collection. I'm very, uh, I'm first of all, very cheap and I'm also, but I'm also very picky. So I have, you know, <laughs> a, a collection of my, my favorites. It's not, not like you guys. I've seen, I've seen Aaron's wall of, wall of, uh, uh, of criterions, uh, behind him there on, on the Skype. Uh, and it's, uh, it's very impressive. It's a but thing of beauty. Mm-hmm. It is indeed. You're welcome to come by sometime, Paul, and we'll, we'll have lots, lots of movies to watch. <laughs> Thanks very much. I, I, I feel like your, uh, your man cave is becoming the second Criterion closet now. It's sort of, the, uh, <laughs> uh, you'll start getting movie stars showing up. Hey, um, uh, PTA, come on by. <laughs> yeah. Hang um, out, watch a Criterion. Yeah, so it's been me, me collecting my favorite films that Criterion has released ever since, and I've got a, I've got a good collection about, about uh, fifty titles right now. Still oh, working on it. That's respectable, and I, yeah, I think the good. innocence is just. Uh, I think it's the quintessential gothic horror. In fact, mm-hmm. I, I was thinking about it today because I, I haven't, I didn't see the witch, and but I've heard that, you know, that being the new uh, quintessential gothic uh, horror. Right. And I just just got uh, the notification; it's coming from Netflix today. So oh, great. Yeah, yeah I haven't you... seen that. I haven't seen that either. And as a, I'm a you know a native New Englander from Massachusetts, and I've oh, uh, yeah. a lot of interest in that, that particular period. So I'm really keen to see it. 
um, it sounds sounds like it really captures the atmosphere very well. So. Yeah, would you say that compares, Mark? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, it, it really, um, it's a good good way to put it, Paula. It does capture the atmosphere of the time period. It's a bit divisive um, it, of a film. Some folks love it. Some folks hate it. Uh, the way, the you know, just the, I, it's expectations again. Uh, it's been billed as a horror film. It's not a horror film. It's mm. a gothic film with some horror elements. Uh, maybe you like The Innocence. Um, right, you right. Know, you, you, you know, so... Yeah, I it's it's one I had a I wasn't quite sure of, but the the farther I'm removed, and I can't wait to watch it with subtitles. Uh, it's a <laughs> good film. <laughs> so yeah, it definitely needs it. Excellent. Well, it, th- uh, glad to have you on again, Paul. Loved hearing your Criterion Connection. That's a, a great choice, a great entry point into yeah. the collection. Nice, nice inky blacks, as I like to say, with that yeah, for sure. black and white film. For sure. <laughs> and, so. and we should mention that uh, Paul is the first guest we've had in a little while because we took a step back and, and just did some bromance episodes. So, um, but, <laughs> That's right. But we didn't want to pass up uh, on Paul. In fact, uh, and thank you, Paul. We had some schedule, scheduling problems, and you were uh, very flexible and and worked around our uh, hectic podcasting schedule. So thank you. Well, you guys are just, you're just victims of your own success is the problem. You've been very busy, <laughs> that's right. so that's, that's terrific, sure. terrific news. That's well, while exactly we're, it. <laughs> while we're talking about your guest, I should uh, give a shout out to a recent uh, uh, fellow Philly homie, uh, Dustin, who you had on your uh, Gross Out uh, mega episode. Uh, yes, yeah. Um, he's um, uh, a guy I know from Twitter who's also, who I've uh, met here uh, thanks to the uh, Philadelphia Film Society. And uh, Oh, excellent. Nice, yeah. yeah. Dustin was All great. Right. All around good guy. Yeah, we, we need to have him back. So maybe we can have a Philly episode with, with uh, Dave Eves, too. Hey, yeah. yeah, that's right, Dave. Yeah, that's right. Uh, all three I, of you. I, I wouldn't complain. Yeah. That's, we had a Twitter conversation great. today where uh, I convinced him to, to quit his job and, and listen to podcasts. I think it's going to happen, too. <laughs> <laughs> you're such a, you're well, such a good you influence, Aaron. <laughs> uh, I try. <laughs> And Paul, you were just recently on uh, Flixwise too to talk about well our namesake close up. Right? That's right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, lady, yeah. With Lady there. P and uh, uh, David Blakesley, of course, is uh, uh, no slouch when it comes to the uh, Criterion's. <laughs> He's uh, not. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I a... love, but uh, yeah. but come on, close up. Y- you had to save it for us, Paul. Uh, I, I, <laughs> sorry, guys. True. What can it's I okay. say? When, when lady when lady p speaks i have to listen so that was that was that was my assignment for that particular podcast very 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 fun experience and uh um a uh, really interesting film uh which i wound up liking i think a lot better than they did but say really? la vie i think you did yeah but. You know, I actually haven't seen it, uh, and that's been the joke. You know, we have this podcast, and, and we've, you know, if we ever 10, 20 years, 30, 40 years, that's the last one we'll do. <laughs> that's right. Best for the last, last episode. So, so I didn't listen to that whole episode because I, I didn't want to be spoiled for, you know, when I finally get to it 10 years later. <laughs> right. Yeah, very cool. Well, welcome again, Paul. Uh, we did want to mention a, a little uh, sorry to uh, our friend on Twitter and listener, uh, Anthony Elmore, he had sent in, uh, when we had the Don Hertzfeld giveaway, we forgot to mention his tweet, which was uh, very funny, and so we just wanted to, to mention mention it here. Um, Aaron, I'll, 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 I'm going to hand it to you to, to read it, because I, I include your name. Uh, sure. Uh, he said, uh, glad Aaron is coming around on Star Wars The Force Awakens. Did you catch where Kylo Ren tells Han, quote, this hurts me more than it hurts you? Uh, very clever yeah uh, very nice yeah uh, 
So, you know, I think it, I, I, Josh, Joshua would have still won, but I think this would have been a close second. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I remember, remember Chuck went about it, but I guess just trying to save all these tweets, I, it got, uh, it fell by the wayside. There's probably about 20 more that I, I, I forgot. Sorry. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> yeah. We, we did pick a good one, though. It is a good yeah. one. Yeah. 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 Congratulations to Josh. So we wanted to mention uh, Criterion just recently announced their August releases, so we thought we would just briefly go into those. I know Criterion cast and Ryan and folks will be covering those on the, the newsstand, uh, but we thought we'd just briefly weigh in on these. So I'll just kind of lead into it, and we can go through them. Um, the first one coming on August 9th, one that we have known about, but of course it's great to have it uh, finally confirmed is McCabe and Mrs. Miller is coming from Robert Altman, the 1971 film, a uh, new spine number. Uh, what do you guys think about this? Oh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. There's, you know, there's this whole genre of uh, sort of uh, 1970s uh, sort of hippie Westerns. I don't know what to call them. Uh, uh, <laughs> and mm. uh, this kind of falls in that category for me. Um uh, kind of the Butch and Sundance um, uh, sort of genre. Um, and uh, just for me visually, um, I think it's a very interesting film. And um, I, I really like that sort of um, late 60s, early 70s um, aesthetic brought to the um, uh, the problem of American Westerns. Um, so I, uh, uh, sort of rebel aesthetic, you know? Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, yeah. it, it's a, it's a fun film for that reason. Yeah. That's cool. What do you think, Aaron? Excited you know, for this one? I, I am very much so. Um, and I've seen it, but I'm going to reserve my comments for this one until we get to the end. And, and there's a reason for that. So go ahead, Mark. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I, I'm I'm excited. I uh, Aaron and I were actually just sharing online earlier. I've seen this once on a crappy DVD transfer. It's um, kind of glad it's out of print now because this will become the de facto release. I'm sure. Mm. Um, you know, single Blu-ray, two DVDs. Uh, I'm hoping for a Nashville type of brick. You know, digipack. Oh yeah, uh, package. You know, mm-hmm. I can totally see it. I mean, the the cover is great I, I just love the you know the cover of of warren Beatty and his coat um and the, <laughs> you know the the font all through it i think it looks great mm-hmm. and just looks tailor-made for a digipack so mm. yeah i i can't wait for this one this is probably the release of the month for me hmm. i would say well i of course i say that there is one coming up at the end that might might uh, be close but yeah yeah i think <laughs> so. it's probably the release of the month for criterion too probably the most popular i'm, I'm guessing yeah yeah for sure yeah. So, yeah. Uh, the second one is this one was a bit of a, a surprise, um, I guess, in that it got its own release. It's uh, Ingrid Bergman, in her own words. Uh, Stieg Yorkman, I'm going to say it is. It was the director. It's a documentary about uh, Bergman just from this year. Um, this was one that uh, we'd actually looked at for my local film society, just never never made the cut. So, uh, yeah, curious about this one. This one comes August 16th, new spine number. Um, I think the kind of one of the, the going uh, ideas was that just surprised that this gets its own spine number, but it's pretty stacked with uh, supplements um, and a 5.1 surround, which I, I thought mm. was interesting. Um, so there must be some, you know, some nice uh, musical uh, elements in it. So. Any thoughts on this one? 
Well, I think uh, she's an incredibly interesting person, uh, you know, film career aside, uh, I think she's mm-hmm. a, an incredibly interesting person. So um, when I found out that there was a documentary about her, uh, I get very excited. I, I haven't mm-hmm. seen it yet. Allow me to say this phrase because it's not often in my life that I'll be able to say it, but when I was in Cannes last year, oh. <laughs> I, I was not there for the festival. In fact, I was there a, a, a few weeks uh, before it. Um, but they were, um, I think they were premiering it there because there were giant posters uh, devoted oh, cool. to this documentary out. So it was clearly a big deal. Um, and uh, everything, all, all the buzz I hear about it is, is nothing is uh, n- nothing but positive. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Excellent. Yeah, me too. I, I love uh, these film documentaries. Uh, I, I, in fact, I just recorded one from TCM recently uh, from Caligari to, uh, crap, some German film, <laughs> but a documentary about <laughs> German film. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and, uh, uh, and of course, I, I, uh, the Truffaut oh, uh, Hitchcock. Oh, is that from Truffaut. Caligari to Hitler? Yes, yes, thank you. Yeah, that's Hitler. an, yeah, that's an I, excellent, excellent documentary. How excellent could I forget the, that guy? Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I, I I love these, you know, of course, and being a cinephile, I just love this kind of subject anyway, uh, you know, the story of film, that sort of thing. So yeah, I think it'll be interesting. Uh, of course, the, the, the bad joke, uh, and I've made a few of those already, is that uh, Alicia Vikander is finally in the collection. That's right. <laughs> and and what's what's funny is I, I got retweeted by, uh, and I, I just thought, it just tickled me that uh, I got retweeted by Alicia Vikander's news site, or uh, not not an official news site. It right, just, a bot. A, a bot, exactly. Um, but still, it was funny that, you know, <laughs> they picked up on my bad joke and they're like, hey, everybody. <laughs> Spreading the love. <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, so that's that's cool. I, I mean, it, again, was a surprise. I'm, I'm definitely uh, coming around to it, too. Uh, certainly like the uh, kind of meta aspect to it. So good. Uh, nicely put, Aaron. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one is, uh, this is a... Kind of ties into one of our early episodes. We covered the angry, um, well, the British uh, New Wave, the Angry Young Men movement. So nice to see this come to the collection. Uh, Actually, first one in the collection from director Tony Richardson, A Taste of Honey, um, 1961 film, spine number uh, 829. Uh, Any any thoughts on on this one, Uh, Paul? Uh, yeah, I, uh, this is a film that I saw actually at that uh, the Doc Film Society that I mentioned uh, uh, at, at Chicago many many years ago. Uh, I haven't seen it since, but it's it was pitched to me as, as one of the you know kitchen sink school of uh, British uh, uh, the the British New Wave that is you know sort of very stark realism and uh, um, uh, working class caricature or not characters characterizations and. Mm. Um, uh, the sort of bleak and very frank um, portrayal of life in, uh, I guess it's, I'm guessing Manchester or Birmingham or somewhere in the north is, I think, the uh, mm-hmm. um, the setting of the film. Um, but I remember being being blown away by it because of its frankness. It was unlike um, other, let's say, French New Wave films that I'd seen. It was sort of, it, there was a kind of realism to it and a grittiness that I really appreciated then. So I'm really looking forward to, um, you know, revisiting it in my, in cool. my, uh, in my old age. <laughs> <laughs> He's not that old. Uh, <laughs> nope. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't seen this one, but, uh, you know, speaking of kitchen sink, we did have a, an episode on that, uh, I guess 
late last year or mid to late yeah, last year. Episode episode five, we we covered if, if and wow. angry young men. Episode five, wow, that's going back a while. Wow. Yeah, pretty early. <laughs> uh, but yeah. uh, we we also talked about uh, Saturday night and Sunday morning, and it wasn't that uh, Richardson. Uh, or no, no, that was that was um, Carol Wrights. I'm sorry. Loneliness of the long distance runner. Uh, we we covered that one's Richardson. Mm. Right, yeah, right, and that one a little bit. And we also talked about wasn't look back in anger. Isn't that Richardson as well? Uh, boy, I'm striking uh, out here. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm I'm forgetting them other than uh, loneliness, but but speaking of Carol Wrights, also there's uh, Mama Don't Allow, which is the first film of Richardson, and it was directed co-directed with Carol Wrights. Uh, and I'm going to find out. Uh, look back in anger. Yes, it was that was Richardson as well. So I, I feel nice. uh, acquainted with him. You know, he you know he did t- Tom Jones, a few other right. things. I haven't seen this one, but I I really can't wait. Uh, it's nice nice to rediscover a kitchen sink film. I should also mention that it was somewhere on social media, maybe Facebook, Twilight Time, who who talks about uh, this sort of thing pretty openly. They said that somebody had bought. Uh, from Tony Richardson's estate, uh, the, his entire filmography, but oh they my. wouldn't say who. Hmm. So this could mean hmm. entire mm, filmography. Entire filmography. So yeah, you know. Wow. I wonder. Uh, I can't see Criterion putting out everything. I wonder if that means a, a you know, like a maybe a box set. But I'm thinking like Eclipse. Uh, Right you know, series uh, release yeah. comes to mind, but I, I could see Runner, and I could see maybe Look Back in Anger, maybe, maybe sure. Tom yeah. Jones, maybe yeah. his Hamlet. I don't know, uh, uh, but uh, but I, I could see Filmstruck is is the big thing, mm. maybe. So, yeah, so, right. Another another feather of the, in the film, you know, the Filmstruck cap. Mm. Mm-hmm. The plot thickens. <laughs> it does. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah, this one. Uh, this one includes uh, one thing I noticed uh, includes his first theatrical film, Mama Don't Allow, nineteen fifty six. So yeah, very excited to get more kitchen sink drama into the collection. It's very cool. Yeah, that's the one he co directed with uh, Wrights. Nice. So uh, the next one, this one, I, I think is again. I haven't had a chance to kind of read uh, up on the forum. I'm just curious, you know, what some of the um, thoughts are this uh, are on this one. I think it's a bit controversial. Uh, Woman in the Dunes is going to be released. This is uh, uh, Teshigahara's film. Uh, Hiroshi is the first name, and uh, yeah, this one very popular from the 1960s um, art house sensation. And the the thing with this film is it is a re-release. It's spine number 394 because the uh, there was a box set of three films. Um, by Hiroshi mm-hmm. uh, Tashikahara, that is, which is called just that, three films by, which is not uh, specifically out of print, but is not available from Criterion. You can't order it. Uh, it's you know fetching decent money on the secondary market, and uh, yeah, with this release, uh, he they they are actually including. I went back and checked the box set. A lot of the supplements that were just on that box set, including. The sh- yeah the four short short films and the uh, the documentary, so I I don't know I mean I the, you know the, I think the going thought is did they lose the rights to the other two films and they're just putting the supplements on this or will they ever release the uh, the other film but I don't know glad to glad to at least see it coming back and uh, you know being released on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Beautiful film. I, I I just highly recommend it. One of my favorite uh, uh, Japanese films. So that's all I'll say. Oh, that, 
that's great to hear. I, um, I've not seen it. And as a matter of fact, I, I haven't either, um, sort of expanding my, uh, my horizons in Japanese film was one of my, one of the things I want to do, uh, this summer, you know, beyond the usual sort of, uh, you know, Kurosawa stuff. Uh, so, um, this sounds like a good place to start. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, it's, it's one I've been wanting to see and just delve into this box. I'd actually have the, happen to get the masters of cinema face of another, uh, they have that on, dvd i think they still have that available pitfall they also released but it's out of print so uh-huh. there's ways to get the the films you know if, if folks want to you know check them out so i can't wait for this on blue so moving into i guess we can kind of cover both of these together the lastly uh, on august 30th we're getting two orson wells films uh, one is i think a bit of a surprise in the immortal story uh his uh, i think la or first color film if I remember correctly, from 1968, just mm-hmm. about 60, uh, mm-hmm. 60 minutes long, uh, and his final completed fictional feature. And along with a film that we knew was coming uh, probably sometime this year, and here it is, Chimes at Midnight, his mm-hmm. 1966 uh, Shakespeare adaptation of sorts. So, yeah, any thoughts on the Wells releases, uh, Paul? Uh, well, first I want to point out that my birthday is August 31st, so... Uh, to anyone out there who's interested, you know, uh, uh, and Wish I list, love, yeah. <laughs> and I love Wells, so I'm delighted these are coming out on the 30th. Uh, nice. The uh, I I uh, I haven't seen uh, Immortal Story. I've only heard about it, so I'm thrilled that there's going to be a um, uh, a nicely presented version of a, a Wells film that I've not seen available. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I was reading the Criterion blurb on it, uh, Mark, and I see that Eric, uh, it's got a lot of Eric Satie music uh, uh, in the soundtrack. And I know you're big on on soundtracks yourself, so I am. Nice. Um, I think it, that'll be a, a very interesting film to see. Um, I'm a I'm a huge aficionado of Chimes at Midnight. I saw I, I went up to New mm-hmm. York just to see the uh, um, the restoration when it was playing in theaters. Uh, it was playing at the um, uh, film forum there and uh, actually i did a podcast with um, friends of the show uh, Ro- the wrong real folks uh, that's uh, right james uh, hancock uh and Excellent. um it, that was a really special event um uh wells's daughter beatrice uh was there uh and hmm. um did a sort of q a afterwards and passed around her her working script um it, uh, passed it around uh, through the audience and it was a packed house um it's a very interesting film it's not without its problems, but, um, it, it's, uh, uh, you know, something that I think any cinema lover should see. So I'm very, very, very excited, uh, to, uh, to see and own a copy, um, of the new restoration. Yeah. Well, happy birthday. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Beatrice is on the disc too. There's going to be an interview with her. So. Uh, great. I, I expected so since she was sort of in New York, uh, I suspected she was cooking something up with Criterion. So that's mm-hmm. great. That's great. Well, I'll just kind of uh, make my blanket comments here. I, I, I don't like the immortal story, I'll be honest. Not not uh, a fan of it. Uh, and both Chimes at Midnight and, uh, and McCabe and Mrs. Miller, I saw, just like Mark, I saw in really bad DVD versions. Mm-hmm. So I did appreciate both of them. But I don't think I really saw... I mean, I saw them, but I didn't really see them. So yeah, this that was my... Just, Sorry, I was going to say that was my experience with Chimes too, and I have to say the restoration is 
is uh, not is is just this side of magical. <laughs> they really I, I can't wait. really improved the visuals, and the sound was terrible. I don't know if you remember in the the versions mm. that were circulating. It still has its problems, but it's it's much it does, clearer. Yeah. It's much clearer now than it than it used to be. Yes, story has some sound problems too, and so anyway, I think this month will be a, a month of revisits for me. So I, I'm going to mm. give these an, a new chance, and uh, you know, c- kind of see it with new eyes, and uh, and give them uh, honest, open look. And uh, and I, I'm sure I'll, I'm pretty sure I'll love Chimes and uh, and McCabe. Immortal Story might be a tougher sale. Sell. I, mm. I, I don't think it's my type of movie. And I, I know some others that I respect that don't like it either, so may, maybe I'm not alone, but we'll see. Uh, it's it's 58 minutes, mm-hmm. and it's the longest 58 minutes I've ever experienced. I, that, <laughs> sorry, that that's too much. But uh, yeah, I, I'm just I'm just down on that one. But maybe I'll give it another shot. Yeah, yeah. I, I was curious. I mean, it's um, uh, we've been talking about this a little bit with uh, was it Shadows and Fog getting the full MSRP, and this is another film. It's a shorter film getting the a full MSRP. I mean, there are, are a number of supplements, but just thought this one, you know, might get a, you know, a more inexpensive release. I, I think some folks thought this might just be included as a supplement on Chimes at Midnight or another uh, uh, Wells release. So it is very uh, short, after all. Yeah, but yeah, curious. It's here. I, I do love the cover. Uh, I'll go on record. I, I think it's great uh, of the Immortal Story. Mm. Uh, even though I haven't seen the film and uh, chimes um, is, yeah, I, I love the, uh, the, the film. I've seen it a couple of times looking forward to watching the, uh, with subtitles as we've said before. One thing I did notice is it says it's a new digital restoration. Um, and I'm wondering if, you know, again, uh, Peter Becker has mentioned that this film needs additional restoration. I don't know if that means we'll get another, you know, kind of re-release somewhere down the road. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh going to be something else to to have on blu-ray for sure mm, yeah um it'll so. be a, a, a real treat um the um uh what sort of special features are coming with the disc do you know um the uh for chimes yeah for chimes there's a well there's an audio commentary i'm just looking at the site with a film scholar um there is this is uh, and it's james uh Naramore. Mm-hmm. he was the author of the magic world of orson wells uh, includes an interview with an actor, Keith Baxter. Um, it includes the interview with uh, Beatrice Wells, uh, new interview with uh, biographer Simon Callow, oh, yeah. another interview, uh, film and... historian Joseph McBride. Oh, great, Joe McBride. So, yeah. And, and one with Wells from 1965 on the Merv Griffin show. So, yeah, a lot of interviews, you know, <laughs> and the commentary and just the film, you know, so... Yeah. Of course, Simon Callow is uh, an actor in his own right. Uh, and another Criterion connection there, he, he appears in um, Room with a View. That's right. Oh, nice. Yes. yes. Yeah, He's the vicar. To, uh, think of the connection. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, and cool. no slouch as a, uh, as, a, as a Wells scholar uh, himself. So. Wells and Shakespeare, as a matter of fact. So that's the, uh, the Criterion month of August upcoming. So looking forward to that. Um, but uh, yeah, that's uh, it for our for our intro. Uh, we wanted to take just a quick break, and we'll come back with John Frankenheimer. This nation jealously guards its highest award for valor, the Congressional Medal of Honor. In the Korean War, with 5,720,000 personnel engaged, only 77 men were so honored. 
One of these 77 men was Staff Sergeant Raymond Shaw. Raymond Shaw was returned from combat and flown directly to Washington to be decorated personally by the President of the United States. This is why his presence, or the presence of any Medal of Honor winner, is sufficient to bring generals to their feet saluting. Welcome back to Criterion Close-Up. I'm Mark Herney, and I'm here with Aaron West, my co-host as always, and our special guest, Paul Cobb. Glad to have you on, Paul. Let's get into the Manchurian candidate. Um, but I just got to finish this, this This red diamond queen is telling me to do something um, that I, I really shouldn't be doing. Are you playing solitaire again? Come on, Mark. Uh, yes, I we am. Talk- <laughs> not, not during the podcast. Now go kill oh. that politician. I'm sorry. <laughs> is that a silencer on that gun? Uh, sorry. So- Never mind. <laughs> So of course we are talking about the uh, the Manchurian Candidate. This is a 1962 film uh, directed by John, John Frankenheimer. Frankenheimer. <laughs> I, I thought on... you were cueing me for a close-up thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was thinking. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, lots of other folks involved, and we've got George Axelrod as the producer. Uh, also wrote the screenplay based on a novel by Richard Congdon. Cinematography by Alina Linden, who also worked with uh, Frankenheimer on a number of other films. Uh, he also mentions Richard Silbert, production designer. So I just wanted to mention some important names there. Uh, got a lot of uh, praise from him. Um, as far as um, actors, I mean, there's a number of important actors here. Also, Frank Sinatra. Uh, we've got Lawrence Harvey, Janet Lee, uh, just pre or just post uh, Psycho. Angela Lansbury, it was nice to see her in, in an early role. Um, Henry Silva. Assassination, she wrote. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Nice. nice. Uh, James Gregory, um, Leslie Parrish, and John uh, MacGyver. So pretty uh, stacked cast. And uh, the film is about, well, it's spine number 803, and it's about a former prisoner of war is brainwashed as an unwitting assassin for an international communist conspiracy. Uh, this film was uh, nominated for a couple of well-deserved awards. I will just go on a limb and say uh, Best Actress in a Supporting Role, Angela Lansbury, and uh, Best Film Editing in uh, Ferris Webster. So definitely uh, deserved there. But uh, we thought we would kind of kick this off with, you know, after the little intro, we'd get into Frankenheimer a bit um, in our conversation. And we do have a few other things we want to talk about. And, you know, we'll let the conversation go where it may. Uh, I guess, you know, just any kind of general thoughts about the film before we uh, talk about uh, Frankenheimer, Paul? Uh, sure. I uh, I think it's a, a super interesting film. Um, and I... Uh, it has, I, there's a lot to talk about, I think, uh, in the film, how it's made, the story behind it, and also sort of some of the, the folklore that's accrued to it. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking uh, with you guys about the ins and outs of the Manchurian Candidate. Excellent, excellent. Any any general thoughts, Aaron? Uh, yeah, lots of them. <laughs> but I'll, I'll wait till we get into it. Okay. Fair enough. So, uh, yeah, we, we thought we'd talk about Frankenheimer as a, a director. Um, he's a he's one that uh, I'll just lead, and I'm not as familiar as I would like to be. I kind of came to him with some of his later work. I've seen uh, Ronin. I was a big fan of in 1998. Uh, did enjoy his uh, television movie, Andersonville, 
which is about a, a prisoner of war camp in uh, the Civil War, kind of a subject you don't hear a lot about. And, of course, I have seen seconds that I like quite a bit from 1966, also in the Criterion Collection. So I think this is probably one of the only other uh, films um, that I, I've seen by him. Now, um, I think one thing I did want to mention with in relation to this film I thought was interesting was that uh, he'd mentioned that this particular movie was turned down by uh, every studio in Hollywood. Just a very <laughs> frank <laughs> uh, revelation from Frankenheimer leading into the commentary. I just loved how that was done. But uh, yeah, I so Aaron, I understand you've seen more of, especially of some of his earlier work. Yeah, and I think the early work is the most, well, it's definitely the most relevant for this conversation, but I think it's also the uh, the most uh, relevant for his career, and I hate to say that because he did did do some um, good work later. But I think for the most part, after the '60s, uh, besides uh, aside for a, a couple uh, of strong films, it was kind of diminishing returns. But he he was primarily a thriller director, and I, I think he he found his niche very early with uh, with thriller movies. And in fact, I think this one was probably a, a big deal for him. Uh, of course, he he also did Birdman of Alcatraz, uh, All Fall Down before this, and then uh, this kicks off what uh, is called his Paranoia trilogy, and that's uh, with this film, also with Seven Days in May, which is a sort of a liberal Cold War movie, and then a and then Seconds, of course, which is uh, uh, just a freak out um, hippie. I don't know. <laughs> it's something. We'll, we'll save that one for another day. But uh, yeah. three uh, kind of mind-boggling um, and and more very zeitgeist, very much uh, films of their times and and the and the and the Cold War, the political situation. Uh, also, in between there was the train, which is uh, more of a resistance picture, uh, French res- resistance in Europe, which I think is a brilliant picture, probably. Mm. One of my favorites of his, uh, and then as you mentioned, he had some some good later uh, films. He had uh, Black Sunday. He had uh, uh, French Connection too. Uh, and right. then he ended up, and, and then Ronan. I'm I'm with you. I think Ronan is exceptional. Uh, great chase scenes. Yeah. Uh, there's some misfires. He, he did uh, the Island of Doctor Moreau, and then <laughs> Reindeer Games, which. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so and then he passed. So, but I I, I said think he has a, a decent body of work, but probably uh, his Criterion uh, caliber films were are his sixties output. Yeah, and it's interesting. Um, I I wonder if like maybe Seven Days in May may come. But yeah, you look at you know the just from All Fall Down through Seconds, especially just every film is solid. A couple of them from Twilight Time too. Birdman of Alcatraz is available. Uh, and uh, the train too. So, um, yeah, right, couple, the train is out of print. It's or it's sold out. It's three thousand run, but it's also well, it, it could be reissued. We'll see. Yeah, it's possible. As a as a criterion, do you think that would be a, a great release? Uh, well, maybe, but I, I was thinking Twilight Time. Uh, they've there have been some occasions where they've uh, sold out of their three three thousand, and then when uh, when it reverts uh, three years later, they've been. Uh, doing a, a encore edition gotcha so yeah we'll we'll see it's uh see what happens but uh yeah some really interesting films and, and i i would just say i can't wait to go back and i really want to watch the train that's like top of my list and uh, rewatch oh. seconds mm-hmm. so good stuff gotta gotta see it so um yeah so it i guess really in setting up the film it seems like we do need to talk about uh, mccarthyism 
Um, it's funny we've we've talked about McCarthyism in the past on uh, other other films. Actually, very early on, the the film that I thought of was uh, Good Night, Good Luck. Um, that we referenced, sure. I think was that our first or second show. Very very early on, we we talked about uh, first that, but... broadcast news. That's right. That's right. Thank mm-hmm. you. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's it's making uh, an, an appearance here again, and uh, really kind of pervades. I would say this this film kind of an overarching uh, theme. It also um, there. I mentioned the actor. I mean, you have a character in um, Senator John. Uh, Yerkes uh, Iceland, who is a McCarthy figure. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, just to kind of lead in with that. And I know, I mean, this film was considered kind of a, um, it, it's very close to the McCarthyism era. Uh, I think it's one of the first, if not the first, to kind of take it on after that was the case. It also comes on the heels of the, uh, the blacklist. And uh, it's, it also it kind of plays into you still get a lot of the kind of uh, paranoia cold war paranoia uh, paranoia even though you have a, a bit of a rejection of mccarthyism in this film too so um but i'll turn it to you aaron to kind of lead us into uh, mccarthyism a bit well yeah sure i i, I think uh it's safe to say i i, I tend to avoid political subjects on the show but I, I think that we can say that i don't care who you are but History has not been kind to McCarthy, and I think mm. pretty much everybody universally sees him as a scoundrel. Uh, he he showed up and, and said he had a list of names of people in the Defense Department or in, in government that were uh, that were communist, and he would never reveal his names or his sources. Uh, he kept it to himself. He did change the number, and uh, and that's where uh, actually this film it, it does uh, take him on directly, and it, and it does satirize his his situation very very close to the actual events. I, I forget exactly when he he passed, but it was not long before this film, I believe. Uh, actually, actually, it was fifty seven, so a few years before he passed or before the mm-hmm. film. And uh, yeah, so uh, and of course that led to a lot of uh, film related censorship related led to the blacklist led to the HUAC and so I, I, I think it's actually uh, this film is pretty prescient in that it it took on such a, uh, a volatile topic uh, that was in recent memory it, it would be kind of like I don't know kind of like somebody taking on Obamacare that's a terrible example but I just can't think of um, sure. many uh, yeah. political hot, hot button topics uh, I'm sure there are plenty and I, I shouldn't even <laughs> go there but uh but but yeah no and I think by then most people were over McCarthyism and I think that he was kind of preaching to a choir uh, just uh, with this this film. Senator Senator Eisman, I'd like, to, I'd like to verify that number, sir. How many communists did you say? Oh, uh, Major, I said there are exactly. Uh, I've absolutely proved there are 104 card-carrying communists in the Defense Department at this time. How many, sir? Uh, 275, and that's absolutely all I have to say on this subject at this time. Come back. Major, how many did he say? Oh, oh, Yeah, it's uh, it's, and you talked about the politics, Aaron. I mean, it is hard really with this film to talk about it without talking a bit about politics um, because it, it does you know really pervade this and it, it seems prescient really in this it I, I, well, I shouldn't I don't know if it's prescient I, I think it is but it's also just timely uh, in this uh, election year that that we are in I mean I, I couldn't help but see parallels to 
characters that we're, we're, we're dealing with right now. And I think there's some kind of direct, even direct references um, in some of the supplements to other, you know, past presidents. Um, so oh, for sure. Just, yeah. And also the way the, the media is sort of uh, uh, wrapped up uh, in the um, political careers of, of the politicians in the film. Uh, that's, that's also something that I think, uh, um, you know, um, lends itself to reflection in this, in this election year, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. This election year, (laughs) (laughs) I'm biting my tongue here, guys. (laughs) Same. It's, it's hard. It's hard. I mean, I, it's hard not to, to reference. I mean, I, I, yeah, I think we need to talk about flowers or something. (laughs) (laughs) Hydrangeas. Uh, Hydrangeas. Yeah. uh, Well, I was going to say when, uh, when you brought up the, the concept of timeliness, that's in a way, one of the reasons why I uh, I find the movie so interesting, I I'm gonna you know reveal my hand here. I don't think it's a great movie, um, uh, you know, as a movie. Um, but what is fascinating uh, about it for me is the way it's sort of like I don't think it. There's a lot of folklore about it that suggests that you know it, it sort of foreshadows or prophesizes almost the wave of assassinations, political assassinations that yeah, sort of shook yeah, yeah. America in the 60s with JFK and RFK and Martin Luther King. Um, but um, uh, I don't believe in in prophecy in that way. I think instead what the film does for me, what I find so interesting is it really captures the sort of, it's not even the zeitgeist. It's hard for me to put into words. It's just the sort of psychology of, of America, the sort of buried... Um, uh, anxieties, uh, you know, uh, in the late fifties, early sixties mm-hmm. at that time. And it's, it's so interesting. It's not, not just a curiosity in the, in the sense that it has the story with Sinatra and the Kennedys and so on. Uh, it's something more than that. It's this, um, almost accidental record of, uh, the, uh, sort of madness that was, um, uh, gripping the psyche of America in the early 60s. I find it fascinating for that reason. Mm. I mean, if you, if you think about, sorry to go on here, but if you, if you think mm. about when it was released, 1962, and you think about you know, some of the other movies that were in the air, like the big one, I, I suppose, would be Lawrence of Arabia, um, Dr. No, the first James Bond movie, mm. Lolita, uh, mm-hmm. To Kill a Mockingbird, Cape Fear, the man who shot Liberty Valance. These are all like, you know, these were, this was an age when America was just beginning to get weird, you know, <laughs> when there was <laughs> yeah. a kind of a yeah. rebel yell, just kind of, uh, uh, kind of simmering. Yeah, yeah, simmering, exactly. And um, uh, sort of older values were beginning to be questioned. And uh, it, I think it, it almost accidentally captures that moment uh, very well, very, very well. So. Hmm. You you could yeah, say well it's stated. maybe the 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 first uh, paranoia among the first paranoia uh, political thrillers uh, because with the assassinations uh, a lot of the films we saw in the seventies uh, yeah. that address that uh, I, I think are more reflections of uh, well of course the Cold War was uh, uh, always an issue and and would uh, continue throughout the eighties. But I, I think the, the legacy of the assassinations uh, really is what uh, kicked off the conspiracy thoughts. And so, mm. so yeah, I, I guess, I, again, to go back to the word prescient, I guess the film was prescient in that regard, too. Mm. And mm. that it sort of uh, uh, foretold some of those things and right. s- some some of the paranoia. Hmm. 
it's funny we're talking about simmering and it's kind of a, a bubbling film so to, i might say to being a precursor to the american new wave um mm-hmm. i hadn't really you know thought of it that way going in it just took some time to kind of get there and learn about the film but you know again 19 um 62 at the you know the height of the cuban missile crisis and right you know, right, good point. Into, right yeah yeah and, Leading into um, the you know later in the the 60s, just the uh, the American New Wave. So again, just a precursor. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure, mm-hmm. and 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 definitely an influence on those films. Yeah, yeah. It it really was hard. I mean, I, I can't. I, I mean, I I'm still thinking of the politics. It's hard not to uh, compare the uh, the the family of the Icelands to you know a, a family that <laughs> political family right now. And I I. I there, there was a. I'm not going to reference a person uh, at all. It's actually not even. I'm not even thinking of someone that was uh, running. But I just loved how uh, there was a uh, comment later in the film where uh, someone said, "What do you know? They just handed the vice presidential nomination to that idiot Iceland." And, uh, <laughs> it just, it just reminded me of um, you know we we talked uh, recently on. Uh, Criterion Cast Chronicles about the Kennedy films and sure. just how, and you know, of course, Kennedy is kind of, um, well, obviously, a, a, he was friends, from my understanding, uh, friends with uh, Frankenheimer and kind of, I think he pervades this film a little bit. And I, I just get this sense of, um, you know, why, where have our politicians gone? You know, we had. Uh, whatever you thought of Kennedy, I, I think he was more charismatic than anything we've seen for, for quite some time. And I, I think you just get that kind of sense of, um, you know, you, you talked about Americanism, uh, Paul, in this. And I think that's very, uh, very appropriate. It's just really odd that, um, you know, this early 60s uh, take on um, um, uh, politics uh, at this time, and it, it just still seems to resonate today, uh, maybe even more so with what we're <laughs> dealing yeah, with in this climate, right. you know? Right. So, And, you know, we, we singled out McCarthy, but you could really say that any, and that that's where this movie is kind of timeless, in, in that any political figure that is kind of a blowhard on, on any side of the aisle, uh, there have been many throughout the years, you could say this is kind of a satire on them and sort of the hypocrisy and the uh, the, the deviousness, the trying to manipulate people. Manipulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, manipulation, mm-hmm. exactly. So, yeah, I think this this definitely encapsulates uh, pretty much that political tone. And, Paul, I'm actually kind of with you. I'm not a huge fan of the film. I actually, this was a revisit, and, mm. and I, I think I appreciated it more for maybe the influence you know maybe objectively rather than subjectively just because Mm -hmm. I knew it was an important film and I knew it's you know it's actually in it such a statement of its time but yeah I I think that it's actually fantastic in the beginning Um, the uh, the sequence with the uh, the hydrangeas and oh yes yes that's one of that. That's just a stellar sequence, and I, I and, and tech, technically, I think is really uh, um, something to see. Uh, um, very uh, much, yeah, yeah, with the revolving camera and the, mm-hmm. uh, excellent, uh, excellently put together and cut together. And actually, I think the ending is pretty well done. And there are some some good scenes in between. I I really like the scene on the train. I'm sure we'll we'll talk about that with uh, Sinatra and Lee. <laughs> yes, and that the crazy mm-hmm. dialogue, but. But I, I actually think that, aside from you know just these bookends and these bright spots, it kind of does, it does it's labored in some some areas, and it, it it's not really cohesive. 
So I'm not a huge fan of it. I, I think, well, I'm already getting to my film rating, but I think I'm. I, <laughs> it's all right. I think I'm more like a seven area, but subjectively, personally, but I, I'm I'm thinking that uh, that film history. I think I actually appreciate it more for its influence. So. Hmm. Yeah, I'd probably I, I'd go with there with you too, Aaron. Although I I don't know. I wonder if I I like the film a bit more. I just I love how odd it is, and that you know the, you mentioned that scene on the train. Um, I I think it was um, someone one of the um, in the supplements they mentioned that as being their favorite. It just is certainly a, a standout scene to me because I just I felt like I was so disoriented and had mm-hmm. really no idea what they were saying or what was going on. And um, you know, of course, Sinatra is just can't really seem to deal with uh, uh, Janet Lee's character, but he's still there and entranced and, uh, and, you know, going on with her. So it's, yeah, yeah it's a really, really odd. Um, it, it seems to kind of encapsulate the film because I, I think the, the film mm-hmm. is meant to, you know, put you on edge and he even uses in some instances, doesn't overuse it, but he does use the um, candid camera angles along with just, you know, that gorgeous cinematography, the black and white cinematography that's mm. there, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes to kind of, uh, kind of throw you off. And I, yeah, I the, would say the wide angle lens. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad you, you mentioned that. Uh, he talks about that a lot. It's mm-hmm. one scene I did love too. I, I think the, um, uh, the there's, well, not to uh, get into the, the plot, but I'll just say that the scene with the milk, I think, is uh, spectacular. <laughs> it's very well done. Yeah, as far as the Janet Lee scene, I think that that uh, that's quite a sequence there. And, and you know, the El Dorado, uh, you can you wonder if, <laughs> if she's you know another Lansbury, another uh, right? Uh, I guess cue for the communists, and and that's really not explored. And, and I actually think that's kind of a wasted opportunity. And and maybe I don't, I don't know how the book was. Maybe she was or was not a communist. But uh, but throughout the rest of the film, she was just basically kind of set aside and uh, and just yeah. there to react towards uh, Sinatra. Mm-hmm. And I, I will say that Sinatra is is a, a decent actor. People don't he, he probably doesn't get his due. Uh, I think like some came running is is one where he's a good good actor in. Gives a good performance, but I think this one is really his standout, and you really yeah. see what what he uh, was capable of. And, and that train scene, in in particular, I think he really shined. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with you. Um, that scene is so puzzling <laughs> that it's riveting, <laughs> you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and I think I think it was uh, Roger Ebert who who said that um, he, I mean, he theorized that Janet Lee was a uh, uh, supposed to be some kind of communist uh, handler who was trying to activate Sinatra. But um, from what I understand from the supplements, uh, that dialogue was listed straight from the novel by, uh, is it Richard Condon? Uh, Right, right. um, Yeah. uh, So I think it's just supposed to be quirky and flirty, but the way it's delivered and the way it's acted by both uh, Janet Lee and, and Sinatra makes it sort of heightens the paranoia, I think for us, the viewers, because we don't know what's going on. The dialogue makes no sense and it's delivered in an almost threatening way. And, and Sinatra is kind of reacting by, you know, he's sort of pushed back against the wall, sweating and yeah. uh, trying can't look, at her and- can't look at her. Right. He's trying to follow along, but can't. And uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's bizarre. What's your last name? Cheney. I'm production assistant for a man named Justin who had two hits last season. I live on 54th Street, a few doors from the Modern Museum of Art, of which I'm a tea privileges member. 
No cream. I live at 53 West 54th Street, apartment 3B. Can you remember that? Yes. El Dorado 59970. Can you remember that? Yes. Are you stationed in New York? Or is stationed the right word? I'm not exactly stationed in New York. I was stationed in Washington, but I got sick and now I'm on leave and I'm spending in New York. Eldorado 59970. Just oddly compelling. Yeah. <laughs> well, and apparently in the book, it. it She's not a communist, and so so uh-huh. so maybe maybe that's just some some interesting dialogue that uh, yeah. that, that he just lifted and and it, and it worked in that uh, with those performances. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I I also remember seeing that she had divorced. I think I actually saw this on the Wikipedia, uh, but uh, I also read the BFI classics about this. So it might have been there. But mm. she had just uh, learned about her divorce with uh, with somebody with her husband that that day. So oh, really. Um, yeah, so when when he asked her if she was married, apparently she says no really quickly. Uh, so that that was more the you know, the the actress coming out in the performance. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Hmm, that's funny. Mm-hmm. Well, and and uh, Aaron, you talked about Sinatra. Uh, there's a a big debate about whether Sinatra really uh and this this comes up in the supplements and varying takes on it. Was Sinatra um, did he only allow one take, or was he better on one take? Is the uh, the debate, and it, it was interesting to delve into that because I can see uh, really what uh, Frankenheimer's take was. He was just better on one take, and uh, he talks about the you know the scene that is uh, uh, towards the the end that is blurry, and it's because mm-hmm. that that was the only good take that they had. And I I'm, I'm with you. I think this is from what I've seen of Sinatra. Uh, certainly the best I've seen, and I, I can kind of feel that. You, you kind of feel like this film is a bit on edge, and you know Sinatra probably gave his best performance uh, for each scene. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. He was at the top of his game uh, at this time you know, uh, as a uh, you know, very well-known performer, and it was great to see him on screen. The chairman of the board, fellas. Old blue eyes. Yeah, and, and really, he uh, had so much power at the time too. In fact, I, I think it was he that met with Ken- the Kennedys, and uh, and from what I understand, and, and this was from my reading of of the BFI book, is that uh, that exchange was not exactly pleasant because I, I there was the alleged uh, mob connections with uh, Sinatra, mm-hmm. and I think I think Kennedy he went to Hyannisport, and Kennedy just wanted nothing to do with him. And I, I think, if I remember reading correctly, that the Manchurian Candidate was only almost a threat. Him saying he was making this movie, you know, just to. Yeah, who I don't know how that would be a, a threat to Kennedy, but maybe I, you know, some sort of political assassin or assassination, <laughs> <laughs> political uh, uh, characterization that uh, Kennedy wouldn't appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe Iceland was was supposed to be Kennedy or something. I don't know. Now, see, there's more of yeah. that uh, that that folklore that surrounds the film that I just love. There's this kind of meta. There's the film, and then there's the stuff that sort of has accumulated about it, which I find uh, uh, also you know equally interesting. Uh, stories like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and did you guys watch the interview with the three of them, with Sinatra? Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, we can. Uh, you want to talk about that now, or, or when we talk about the? Oh, sorry. The sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting ahead of it. Well, I, <laughs> just just the point is that Sinatra really seemed like he was in charge. 
and I'm sure it was then and and even yeah. in the interview mm. it, it just seemed like they were deferential to him so yeah yeah he was quite imposing yeah for sure any uh, any other uh, acting performances that really uh, stood out to you guys I'm just curious uh, well, uh, I, I mean, clearly, I mean, you know, um, the, 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 the performance which got recognized and which I think this one of the reasons why this movie is famous is, is of course, for uh, Angela Lansbury's just mm. outstanding. She's terrible. I mean, character, <laughs> characterization. She's She's, yeah, the character's right. terrible. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, she really brings it. And there are some great yeah. uh, monologues there that are uh, really remarkable. And, and you know, it's, as is often commented, uh, you know, she was only three years older than Lawrence Harvey, who's portraying mm-hmm. her son. And right. you, would, uh, you wouldn't know it. I mean, the way she brings a kind of, you know, power-mad world weariness uh, 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 to her role and her sort of, um, you know, the way she treats her uh, sort of long-suffering um, puppet of a husband, the, the sort of <laughs> uh, her, her half-wit politician uh, husband. Mm-hmm. There's a, a great quote I wanted to read. Uh, it's from the essay that was included. Uh, the essayist is a critic named Howard Hampton. He describes their relationship as uh, like an organ grinder cracking down on a festooned monkey. <laughs> that, that's good. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which I think accurately mm-hmm. depicts how, you know, how she's in control of the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a little over the top, the performance, but uh, I think it uh, it, it works. Um, I think uh, James Gregory, who plays uh, Senator Eisenman, is, I think he's most famous to people uh, from his role um, from Barney Miller, the TV show. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember that. Um, And he's just great. He's kind of channeling the same sort of uh, hapless personality there. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, But there's some there's some uh, light touches that he adds that uh, I think um, uh, impressed me. Um, The casting is weird, I have to say. Uh, Lawrence Harvey is, you know, there's no getting around the fact that he's Mm -hmm. English, or I guess he's South African, but, you know, he he has this very clipped um, uh, upper-class English accent, and as much as he tries to sound American or sort of um, mid-Atlantic, it's pretty clear he isn't. And uh, uh, But it it, it also kind of works in the sense that he sort of uh, has a kind of zombie-like quality, um, which is also maybe appropriate, so. Um, yeah, he really he does get into the character, and and, and he he the actor fits the character, mm. if, if the accent not notwithstanding. Mm. But yeah, but but the accent actually kind of just takes you out of the picture as well. It, it kind of does, uh, uh, I guess, merges with the surrealism, um, with the you know the with the 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 hydrangea Mao party, <laughs> um, and then you have a British. Congressional Medal of Honor winner who might be trying to sound American, and whether the actor was, whether he was just doing a, a poor Engl- uh, American accent or not, it, it, it kind of works. I don't know. Right, right. It's destabilized. Yeah. Everything is destabilized in this film. Just, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. It seems like uh, Frankenheimer was able to get away with you know some mistakes like that. And you know, I mentioned the um, you know just the um, later in the film the the one shot of uh, Sinatra where he is um, you know out of focus and right. people just went with it because they were mm-hmm. you know it was um, you know the Raymond character looking at him and they're like well that's you know he's he's in his trance that's how he might see somebody so it worked right <laughs> it's funny right how, mm-hmm. you know we're just put on edge I think throughout the the film and we just kind of go with you know the surreal uh, moments like uh, Aaron mentioned I think and another thing about Frankenheimer is he didn't like to do a lot of takes Whereas, and if, as you already established, uh, Sinatra just 
I, he, I heard it was basically worthless after a couple takes. Uh, so, mm. uh, you know, with those diminishing returns, I, I think that actually that pairing worked pretty well. So mm. there, there were a lot yeah. of happy accidents in, in getting this film made. And, and even though we have our quibbles, I think a lot of the strengths come from um, some of the, the, the mis- mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Any anything else? Uh, we talked about the uh, direction a little bit with Frankenheimer, and I did mention the cinematography, the wide angle lenses. Any anything else? Um, kind of on Frankenheimer's work in this, or the uh, you know the use of the the camera. We talked about the you know the the three sixty shot uh, that was you know really w- the reason it was uh, three sixty was to make you feel like you were in the this you know, Manchurian. Uh, amphitheater um and they they had to of course move the set around and move the That's actors uh, in place so it's just mm. a nice nice story but just a you know regarding the shot but the way it, it came together and apparently it was really all in the editing I mean, they got all mm-hmm. the the footage and just put the um it's almost like they threw it up in the air but they didn't really but the, you know they put it put that uh sequence you know really a standout sequence together in the editing room but any anything else that really stood out to you guys um, well, I will say the the wide angled uh, sort of depth of focus shots that are so prominent in the mm. uh, in the film are um, I found sometimes to be honest I found some of them sort of distracting. That is, um, uh, some of them work, some of them don't. Um, mm-hmm. And um, the the uh, like they're like overly uh, overly mannered or exaggerated in a way. Um, uh, but um, there are some that just make these. Uh, magnificent photographs, you know, there's <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. a particular scene where, where the discarded queen of diamonds uh, costume is up close, uh, sort of yeah. dominating the frame. You probably remember the, the scene and, and uh, uh, Angela Lansbury is holding forth uh, in the, in the, in the near distance and uh, in the study there, a very dark um, um, shot. It's uh, beautifully done. And then there are others uh, like those out of focus shots um, that you mentioned, which, you know, uh, the, the the unwitting public uh, assumed was from the um, the right. point of view of of Raymond, but mm-hmm. um, I found to be sort of uh, I, I don't know. I I wondered about Frankenheimer's explanation um, in the commentary. I found it a little defensive, and I wondered if um, uh, uh, you know you if he could have coaxed uh, Sinatra into doing uh, you know doing some retakes. So. Hmm. Uh, who knows? Um, it, it, it does. Yeah. It does take me out of the film, though. When suddenly, um, uh, um, you, when you suddenly you know what the director is aiming for, but what's delivered is something sort of uh, uh, sort of out of focus. But that's easy for me to say. I'm not a I'm not a filmmaker. Just a film consumer. Yeah, well, maybe yeah. you should be a photographer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think we should we we should talk about the um, just a little bit about the the um, hydrangea scene uh, for lack of a better term and and you, you already mentioned the moving pieces I actually that's that one scene I, I love it so much and I, I know I'm just gushing about it but I, I actually watched it's it four, four times uh, just because uh, you just to see you know the uh, the Chinese uh, uh, I guess the Chinese I don't know what he is the curator the the the, um, the really the guy that's doing the hydrangea speech and yeah, how they the they puppet they, master kind of mm-hmm. they cut it together so brilliantly and and sometimes they intermingle these characters so you, sometimes you see the the ladies in the set with the uh, with the communists and other times you see the 
the the commonness in the set with the hydrangeas. It's very, very well done. And, the cultivation uh, of hydrangeas was evolved from a number of varieties originally found in Japan, not all of which, of course, have the same characteristics. Two of them do not share the quality of producing blue flowers in mineral-rich soils. Allow me to introduce our American visitors. I must ask you to forgive their somewhat lackadaisical manners, but I have conditioned them or brainwashed them, which I understand is the new American word, to believe that they are waiting out a storm in the lobby of a small hotel in New Jersey, where a meeting of the Ladies' Garden Club is in progress. You will notice that I have told them they may smoke. <laughs> I've allowed my people to have a little fun in the selection of bizarre tobacco substitutes. <laughs> are you enjoying your cigarette, Ed? Yes, ma'am. Yak dung. Oh, tastes good. <laughs> like a cigarette should. <laughs> well then, comrade. May I present the famous Raymond Shaw. Young man, you've flown 8,000 miles to this dreary spot in Manchuria to see. Oh, yeah. Do you think we should talk about brainwashing? <laughs> Just the concept of it? Yeah, I mean, it's state. there's a whole supplement uh, pretty much about it, but yeah. Yeah, I, it, is it believable? Solitaire guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I mean, yeah, they they get into just the whole, you know, can you um, is is it in there or you know where where you can't actually be hypnotized to do something supposedly? Yeah, yeah, it's in the film. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. One of the opening opening lines, as a matter of fact. That's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and just you know, is that believable? Brainwashing believable? Uh, I I don't know. I'm not. I, I kind of feel like if it if it was possible that it would have uh, happened. Of course, maybe it did. And we're not aware of it, but I don't know. Any thoughts, Paul? Um, well, uh, and, until I uh, until I say the trigger words, you won't uh, you won't be aware of uh, your brainwashing. But uh, no, I mean, um, I found the supplement um, uh, about brainwashing um, uh, by that historian um, terrific. I found that very you know, I, I, yeah. a great way to situate the. Um, both the, the reality, which is apparently that it's really not a real thing, um, mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, but the more importantly, the public fear and paranoia about stories that were being, that had become very popular uh, in the years uh, of the Korean War and subsequently, that in, the, in, in just the sort of uh, imagination of the American public, this is a real thing and the, the, the possibility yeah. of sort of sleeper cells, you know, uh, that have been brainwashed to, to do horrible things was, uh, was mm-hmm. uh, uh, alive and well. So um, I, think, I think the film captures, captures that very, um, very nicely. Yeah, I think you're right that that through the brainwashing and probably brainwashing was a was a, a valid fear at the time, uh, mm-hmm. and and I think she, uh, it was Carruthers, was it? Uh, she talked yes, about how right. it it spoke to their thoughts of on psychology and advertising, and, and even if it was unsuccessful, they they probably didn't know that. But as far as brainwashing, and I'm no expert. I'm I don't, I don't think mm-hmm. I've been brainwashed. I hope not. I guess you guys tell me, but uh, I I think I remember watching a documentary on the Westboro Baptist Church. Mm. And, and, you know, you can't call that brainwashing, but when you do uh, kind of hammer somebody with an ideology, you, you can, and Hmm. you can get them to believe it. And even if it doesn't, you know, if you hear somebody from Westboro Baptist Church talk about uh, their, their beliefs or justify their beliefs, 
they sound like they believe it and uh, and that it makes perfect sense to them. But to us, it's like, are are you guys kidding me? <laughs> mm. uh, and, and if you guys don't know what uh, Westboro Baptist Church, that's the one that says uh, God hates uh, homosexuals. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's a kind of conditioning uh, that maybe exactly. not, maybe not the sort of creation of a of a puppet that will do your will uh, without thinking, right. but a but a kind of um, you know. Uh, 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 enforcing a way of thinking uh almost acculturation really rather than rather than right. brainwashing yeah. but and and sure. cults you know they, they yeah uh, right cults exactly there's there's a lot of history of, of that and uh and actually you know i hope I, I don't get sued but some people say that scientology has a little bit mm. of uh of mind control and and when you hear if you ever watch that tom cruise video mm. about it you, you're, you're gonna it's gonna sound a little different mm. so. well you know it's it's interesting in this regard that um the you know the film was remade in the nineties was it ninety four ninety seven two thousand four oh that recent oh, yeah, good right. heavens two thousand four yeah. with Denzel. Denzel yeah that's right mm-hmm. um, and that's sort of a sci fi movie right this it's really it's sort of set in the in the future of uh, uh, beyond two thousand four slightly in order I think for the brainwashing thing to be believable that is they in order for it to work it has to be it has to be portrayed as kind of a, um, a futuristic thing, not as something that, that actually happens in our own world. Huh. You know, I, I, I did watch the, uh, the the remake when it came out, and I remember liking it okay, not loving mm-hmm. it. And, yeah. and, and for, for a, a classic film remake, I, I thought it was, it was fine. It was, it was mm-hmm. sure, certainly better than Psycho. Yeah, right. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Hard not to be. Wow. <laughs> the thing is, when when he plays the solitaire, how do they know on the phone when the Queen of Hearts turns up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> thought about that too. I thought that was interesting. Well, it shows how how deeply I've been I've been um, uh, brainwashed myself that I it never occurred to me to think about it. So <laughs> yeah. or, good well, on the, you guys. The, the queen Queen of Diamonds, but yeah. <laughs> oh, did I say Aaron? Hearts. You've been brainwashed Sorry. by that. Yeah. I, I think I have. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was a, that was a different organization. <laughs> That's right. No, that was the, uh, the that was the, Criterion, and, maybe. Um, <laughs> the, the, yeah, I, I was going to say the Criterion. As far as, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. As far as brainwashing, we've all been brainwashed by Criterion, but we love them for it. So indeed, That's right. indeed. There you go. Thank you, uh, Mulvaney. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, so, any any other thoughts, or should we rate this this film? We talked about it a little bit. Yeah, let's rate it. All right. I, I Paul, gave mine. So your, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm uh, agreeing with Aaron in this. I, I, I give it a seven. I think it has some uneven performances and some some uneven um, sort of uh, cinematography and some sort of plot points. But um, for all the reasons which I've uh, uh, mentioned so far, I think it's a, a very interesting film um, and uh, is uh, definitely worth a watch. Nice. And Aaron, are you, are you sticking with an eight? No, I, I was seven. Oh, you're seven. Okay, mm-hmm. that's right. I think you said you you could go as high as an eight. I get you know I'm really there. I I'm gonna I'm gonna bump it up. I'm gonna go with an eight. Uh, that's what I was thinking of before. I and I think again I, I'm gonna call it the criterion factor. I, I just enjoyed the essay quite a bit, mm. um, and you know the the supplements just kind of really laying out what this film I think meant to the, this time period and how it's influenced other films. Um, the, I I do I do think the essay was. Great. I know David Blakesley's been. Um, I actually mentioned him before. Mentioned him on Flixwise. 
um, just about the, you know, calling it, he called it a first post-noir uh, thriller and also, he, you know, references, as I referenced, mm. the American uh, New Wave film. So I think, you know, really f- possibly for the historical importance, Aaron, maybe I'm just, you know, bumping it up a, a little bit for, for that reason. But I'll I'll go with an eight for now. Cool. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So, and yeah, we, we should, you know, we're going to give a criterion rating. So we just wanted to, again, we've mentioned them some, but briefly get into the supplements. Um, is there one in particular um, that grabbed you, Paul? Uh, I would say the uh, Carruthers um, supplement, the one devoted to the sort of history of brainwashing and its place mm-hmm. in American culture was was terrific. The interviews mm-hmm. with the stars didn't reveal much to me to be perfectly honest. Um, yeah. uh, it was nice to have Errol Morris's take on it. He's an interesting guy. Um, but it was the Carruthers piece that really uh, um, s- sold me for uh, with regard to the supplements. Nice. Well, although I would say with for the Angela Lansbury uh, interview, mm. I swear I saw a the AK100, the Akira Kurosawa box set behind her, that out-of-print box set um, <laughs> sitting on the shelf. Yeah, Way it to was go, Angie. <laughs> black box with the red top. I, I swear it was there. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it was exciting. What do you think, Aaron? Yeah, I, I'm with Paul. I like the Carruthers piece, but I, I think the Errol Morris um, interview was also exceptional. I, I just like any time there's a, a, a modern voice looking at uh, a, a modern filmmaking voice looking at an old film. And nice. I think Morris is a, is, a, is a pretty unique take since he's mm. basically worked with true crime. He's worked with historical documentary uh, and, and some from the time. He, he did The Fog of War, which was McNamara, which, was, of course, that was about mostly Vietnam, but still, mm. yeah. you know, within uh, spitting distance. But, you know, him talking about the, the, the time, uh, the 50s America and, uh, and, of course, McCarthyism, Rosenberg uh, executions, and, and just how... Uh, you know, I, I think he he also uh, connected it to the American uh, fear. Uh, I, th- I think he did a good job of uh, conveying why it's important, even though I don't agree with him uh, that it's as great as a, a lot of people think it is. Uh, I, th- I think he did a, a had a nice interview about it. Nice. Yeah, it's a it's a good one for sure. It's probably my favorite other than I mean I I did want to mention the commentary because it was I had watched this film a little while ago and uh went through it again through the commentary. I I really think it was nice. I, I this is kind of what I want to get from a commentary if it is just a director. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Frankenheimer was direct, you know, to the point. He had his his points to say. He praised people in the right place, and he stepped back quite a bit too. Just he let did, the yeah. film, I noticed you know, that, yeah, kind of run, yeah. I, and I, I, I know you've like mentioned that, that before, yeah, yeah. I was thinking of you because I know you've mentioned that before, and I, I agree. It was it was nice to see, and he, he just he had a lot to say. He did kind of talk about his his filmmaking. Uh, one thing we talked about the deep focus, but there's a lot of shots where, uh, and he alluded to this, where you get the. Um, you know the foreground background shot where the you know one character uh, mm-hmm. almost extreme in the front I mean it's almost one of the very first uh, uh, scenes that was supposed to be possibly the the credit scene with they they shot day for night um, which has um, the Henry Silva character uh, mm. Chunjin in it and there's a number of them like that in there so you kind of get into his his head as you know you do with a you know, director commentary, but I, I thought he he did a really good uh, job again of, of stepping back. So nice work, John. 
Yeah, and he did point out a lot of uh, interesting shots, and and I think I, I yeah. did appreciate the type of wide angle lens. And I, I'm with Paul that it doesn't work all the time, but I think when there's uh, there's something inter- uh, you know uh, like a face in the foreground and there's something in the background, it, it did really work well. So yeah, kind of disorienting again. Mm. Again, yeah. yeah. So I mean that's the uh, the supplements. Uh, so all together with the package, uh, we've got to rate this thing. Paul, what would you give it for a Criterion rating? Hmm. Um, I uh, uh, I would I could definitely give it as high as an eight. I would say um, you know I'm 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 pretty uh, secure in in giving the film a seven. As I said, and the supplements mm-hmm. didn't do very much for me, but but uh, they uh, I. I I, I could be persuaded that there are enough to for me to bump the whole package up to an A. And the essay that's included uh, is is very nice. And yeah. in fact, uh, you know, it's on the flip side of really a, a poster that's suitable for framing. So <laughs> mm-hmm. it's uh, yep. uh, yeah, I could give it an eight. Nice. Aaron, be careful. What do you, think? you might get uh, some pitchforks about talking about those uh, those fold outs. <laughs> <laughs> Positively, yeah. yeah. Right. Oh well, yeah. people don't want those on on, on the wall. Um, <laughs> I'm 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 pretty much with Paul. I'm I'm gonna I'll, I'll say seven five. I I think that mm. the the supplements did their job in fleshing out the film, especially the Carruthers and the Morris. I'm with you that the interviews were not uh, terrific. Uh, yeah, but uh, and didn't really uh, illuminate too much. But I, I did like the commentary, even if it. Oh, of course it's it's an old, older commentary because he's no longer with us. And and I'm I'm with you. I, I like when the directors kind of chime in when uh, they have something to say, but they're not uh, chatterboxes and and kind of let the film breathe. So I, I, yeah, I'll say eight. Yeah, cool. I'm I'm there with you, Aaron. I I wanted to go as high as a nine, but I just don't think it's it's quite there. There were some supplements that were left off uh, from the. There was a DVD came out in '98. Another one that came out in 2004. This has already been on Blu-ray. Uh, but there's a, another interview, uh, not this, the one on the Criterion disc was done for Criterion, but there's another one that could have been included. Maybe that would have been overkill. But um, this one I think is missing, especially a uh, uh, talking with William Friedkin about the importance of the film. I think that mm, would have just that been, would have been gold. interesting. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would. To hear from him. So, and, you know, that's probably a rights thing. But, um, you yeah, know, would have loved to have seen that, would have bumped up the rating a little bit. But, yeah, great commentary and uh, really nice uh, with, the, with uh, Paul. I really like the essay. So I'll, I'll stick with an eight. So. Um, I have oh, a feeling sure. I know know where you're going, Aaron, uh, with this one. Are we going to canonize this thing in the, not, into the Criterion canon? Not this time. It's been a while. Yeah. We Boy, need I a can't canon. remember the last one that we did. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Hey, it's a canon. Did, uh, you, have, you have to be picky. You have, you have right. to be. Yeah, maybe in the next right. one. We'll see. Yeah. I, I could I could be convinced to put this one in there, but I, I would agree it's probably not quite canon-worthy, so... Well, that was uh, the Manchurian Candidate. Uh, thank you all for listening, and thank you, Paul Cobb. It was a pleasure to have you on here. been really looking forward to this. You d- uh, did a great job. Really a pleasure talking to you. Oh, thank you, guys. Yeah. Uh, it was it was lots of fun, and I, I, uh, I learned a lot. Thanks for having me. Nice. nice. You are nice on our list for the innocents. I, I'm just telling you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. Well, I'll get to that essay this summer, believe me. No, no hurry. <laughs> just do the podcast instead. How about that? <laughs> Sounds good. Nice. And Paul, where can folks find you online? Uh, let's see. They can find me on Twitter uh, um, at Cobb Pasha. That's C-O-B-B-P-A-S-H-A. And my um, temporarily um, uh, slowed down uh, movie blog uh, can be found on my website, which is 
paulmcobb.com. And you'll find there um, a blog that I devote to my history work um, in medieval history and the history of the Middle East. And you'll also find um, a link to my um, my film blog, which is called The Blog Cineastique. I love nice. the name. Very nice site. <laughs> yeah, Thanks. <that's> great. <laughs> nice. Yeah, definitely a, a pleasure to have you on. Look look forward to having you on again. And thank you for classing up the joint. <laughs> thank and, you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's our, our first Ivy League. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, and folks can find uh, Criterion Close Up, of course, on Twitter at Criterion CU. Email us some feedback, feedback at criterioncloseup.com. Haven't had uh, feedback for a little while. Find us on Facebook at Criterion Close Up. Um, and uh, Aaron, where can folks find you? A West 505 on Twitter. Excellent. And uh, yeah, criterionclosup.com, of course, the website you can find us. Uh, we could use some more iTunes reviews. Uh, we've had some folks say that they've shared the podcast with their friends. They enjoy it. We definitely want some more feedback and uh, could use some star ratings and some kind words. So um, yeah, definitely yeah. look for that. Somebody said our rapport is effortless. Yes. Did you hear that? That was beautiful. <laughs> that was very nice, yes. It is a thing of beauty, I have to say. Oh, thank you, thank you. It takes a lot of effort, though. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. On, on, on Aaron's part, of course. <laughs> no, no, no. It actually is. It, it flows. So. It does. So, yeah, and uh, again, thanks for joining us. Uh, we uh, would just mention what we are going to be covering. I think the next title we're going to be touching on is uh, World on a Wire. So the Fastbinder mm-hmm. film. So we'll look forward to that. So we'll be talking at you soon. Thank you for listening to Criterion Close-Up. So the Red Queen is our baby. Well, take a look at this kid. Fifty-two of them. Take a good look at him, Raymond. Look at him, and while you're looking, listen. This is me, Marco, talking.